David Suisa. Welcome to my podcast today. Delighted to have my friend Shauna Meyerson, who has quite an interesting life story. <laughs> a story that was changed by one little event <laughs> when she broke her pinky toe. <laughs> a very little event. <laughs> yeah, she doesn't like when I talk about it, but it's true. This was a, she was a career woman. She was in MBA school. And then all of a sudden, she transitioned into a whole new life <laughs> in the world of yoga. And she's now one of the top yoga instructors in the country. And it's been a good 17, 18 years. Uh, Shauna, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much. I'm so happy to be here, David. So tell us, how did this happen? How did you transition <laughs> from being a businesswoman with a career in MBA school to all of a sudden? And I mean, literally, you quit right. your job. You yeah. quit MBA school, correct? Right. And let me just interject here that I am not from among the quitters of the world. Like, <laughs> this is a really big deal. So tell us yeah. what happened. So I could start by telling you that if you had told me the day before I stepped into my first yoga class that I was going to be a yoga teacher someday, I would have laughed in your face, right? So as you mentioned, I had broken my pinky toe, doing nothing special, walking around my apartment. And um, I was an athlete. You know, just you were totally into working out. You yeah. worked out three hours a day. Yeah, they called me the mayor at the gym. Mm -hmm. I was pretty much a fixture there. And um, when I broke Which is, has nothing to do with yoga. Nothing. Nothing. I hadn't touched my toe until I broke it that day, right? For, you know, there was no flexibility, no balance, nothing. I was just your runner, swimmer, biker person. And career woman. And career woman. Yes, I had to wake up at 4 a.m. every day to make that happen. But anyway, when I, I broke my toe, I couldn't put my foot in a shoe. And for years, someone at the gym had been telling me, you got to try this yoga, you got to try this yoga. And I'm like, yeah, right. Like I'm going to sit around on the floor and hum. That just sounds so interesting. So I went kicking and screaming. And long story short, the second I moved, walked in there, there was just such a visceral reaction that this was everything I had ever been looking for in my whole life. And it was just months after that um, that I, I did. I, as you mentioned, I quit my job. I, I quit UCLA where I was getting my MBA. And... I didn't know if I'd earn another dollar. I didn't know what was going to happen. And um, you I've took been... your savings. Well, I yeah. I mean, luckily because I used to write, I was able to. It, listen, God carried me to this career. I literally, I quit my job. Within a week, somebody had called me and said, we have this freelance writing job we want you to do, which means you could write in the middle of the night. You could mm -hmm. do whatever you want. And to the day, the amount that I was earning before I quit my job to the day that this writing job ended and I was a full-time yoga instructor, I was earning as much at yoga as I had been mm -hmm. at my previous job. It was like God was like, here. <laughs> well, was there something inside of you uh, that clicked, that was triggered when you, all of a sudden, you go from spending years and years and years of intense physical <laughs> activity and training, and then all of a sudden, you see something that was the energy is completely different. Right. What happened? Is there something deep inside of you that said, I need this, I need to slow down, I yes. need something deeper? Is this what? Yes. Keep in mind that yoga is more than just 
the postures, the asanas, that it, it's actually a life philosophy. Um, and that really spoke to me on a profound level. But, Explain that. Um, well, I mean, we have the Yoga Sutras of Patanjali, not to be confused with the uh, Kama Sutra. Every time somebody hears the word sutra, they assume the worst. Um, and it's basically the Bible of yoga. And it's 184, I want to say, aphorisms. Mm -hmm. And asana, which are the postures, are mentioned twice mm. in the whole thing. Once to say it exists and once to define it. And what did you see in the beginning that really, really appealed to you? Well, what, what changed my life was when I was in my first class, and it's not easy. So it was, it was hard core yoga. It wasn't like the sitting on the floor and humming part. So I still got that physical thing that I was looking for. But that the instructor had said to us that it was okay to fall. And that might not seem like a big deal, but um, I had literally lived my life up until that point, my whole life as the perennial middle child, thinking I had to be 100% at everything always, right? I was the golden child growing up, right? Straight A's and captain of everything and president of everything. And um, when I didn't get into Stanford, which was my life goal, um, I, I thought I was going to kill myself. I mean, truly, I'm, I'm actually not joking at, at this at all. And um, for the next 10 years, um, I spent beating myself up that I was worth nothing. And that 10 years would be the years between not getting into Stanford and walking into yoga. Mm. And when he said it was okay to fall, I'm like, why didn't anyone tell me this when I was three? Right. And I had just gone through 30 years of my life thinking it wasn't OK to fall or fail. And I feel bad saying this because I know people always in the back of their, their heads are like, you have the worst parents. <laughs> and I have to say it wasn't my parents at all. It's just you become a praise junkie. Right. When when you know that you're the best at everything and you're so used to everybody telling you, oh, look, you know, Shauna got this. Shauna did that. Shauna accomplished this. Shauna. And you just get so used to that that it's it's like a drug, right? And well, you can so get used to the other thing, too. I think for me the real challenge is to sort of balance both because even this idea that it's okay to fall, if you go too far with that, absolutely. then you end up sort of accepting a lower Mediocrity. and lower standard of your life and you end up tolerating mediocrity without realizing it. This is where gratitude even can be taken too far. I agree so much. Mm. And, and so in the Yoga Sutras, right, which is, um, again, this sort of like Bible, there are, quote, unquote, they're not really called it, but the Ten Commandments of Yoga, the Yamas and the Niyamas. And the Niyamas are the observances, like sort of how you deal with yourself. And it's funny because one of the Niyamas, the second one, is Santosha, which means contentment, right, which means mm -hmm. I'm okay with myself as I am. Mm -hmm. But it's not complacency because what's interesting is the very next niyama is tapas, which means passion, fire, mm. drive, and that you can't have santosha, the complacency, without the tapas, the fire. So yoga says you always need to do the best you can at all times, right? So you don't fall into that trap. Mm -hmm. But then it says step back because your best isn't always going to be perfect. Mm. 
mm-hmm. right? There's never been a perfect person in the world. Well, it's it, unlikely it's, it's going to be me. It, you know, it's, <laughs> this is really fascinating because it's that source of tension. And in Judaism, really the highest state in Judaism is that source of tension between particularity and universalism. And here I see this tension right here in Judaism really the my one of my favorite parts about Judaism is living in that tension <laughs> and human nature doesn't like tension human nature would prefer I pick one or the other I'm either a particular Jew or I'm a universalist Jew but the the, the tension between accepting myself how I am between allowing myself to fall and between striving to be my absolute best and having high standards that's a real point of tension right. and it's hard to have both at the same time right Right, but at the same time, you must, right? Because otherwise, it's going to. But what? But what got you? Your hook, your trigger. After a whole life of super high achievement, Mm -hmm. it was the this idea that it's okay to fall. That's in your case. That was the the bridge. Right, and the interesting thing is that I've I've accomplished a lot as a yoga practitioner. Um, uh, tell our listeners about that because I've I've sort of skipped over it because you have you have an amazing. (laughs) yoga practice. So can you just spend a a minute on that? Um, And you've done stuff with kids and so forth. Right. So before I forget what I was going to say, let me just say that the only reason that I can do all the crazy handstands and in contortions and, you know, all the crazy stuff is because I was allowed to fall. I see. Does that make sense? Like Mm -hmm. you can't accomplish anything at a high level Mm -hmm. unless you're willing to take that risk of not accomplishing what you seek to accomplish and trying again, right? The perseverance, the patience that goes into this practice Mm -hmm. is phenomenal. So again, like it was that stepping back that allowed me to propel myself way forward. And even in real life, sometimes, you know, we're afraid because taking a risk, we can fall and really hurt ourselves. Absolutely. It could be damaging. So we're also told to be really cautious. Absolutely. Right? So you can be in a meeting and take a risk and say something that's too bold. Right. That's too risky. <laughs> and it could backfire. Yeah. Right? So again, you're back to that sort of point of tension. Yeah. Where you take a risk, but it's not a, a, a unreasonable risk. Right? right. So this is a... I guess, you know, growing up, one of the catchphrases in my house, my mother there was always God provides, right? We make holes, God fills them, right? And so you have to, it's a huge leap of faith, right? I mean, leaving my whole career and my business school to, yeah, mom, I'm going to teach yoga, right? Um, I've always had a problem with that. I always had a problem, you know, like just, you know, God will provide, God will, you know, because. But he does. Are you alive today and healthy and prosperous? Yeah, like. The way I see God is I thank him nonstop. So the fact that I can breathe, the fact that I can see, these are the miracles that move me the most is just the basic miracles that I'm alive. Beyond that, you know, having a really good issue with the Jewish journal, I just feel it's so much the gift that God gave me is how I see God. He gave me a gift, and now it's all up to me. Do you know? Does that make sense? As opposed to, well, you know, God's going to provide. Sometimes I can fall into a trap of God's going to cover up for <laughs> my mistake or my lack of responsibility. Right. Again, 
I'm not saying it's an excuse for laziness or complacency. So when your I'm mother said you God in, will provide, what did she mean? She meant that you're going to make it through today and you're going to make it through tomorrow and mm -hmm. don't spend your life worrying about what comes, you know, the, after that. Like right now, are you okay? Are you healthy? Are your, are your needs cared for? Are you ne needing for anything? Right. I t I, that I can connect with because sometimes it's the actual anxiety that ends up paralyzing you and stopping mm -hmm. you. The worrying itself Absolutely. becomes uh, the obstacle. So I, I want to go back to telling our listeners everything <laughs> you do because it's pretty incredible. <laughs> well, I, so going back to the original story of like that aha moment of why didn't anybody tell me this when I was mm -hmm. three, um, my initial business, so to speak, was Mini Yogi's Yoga for Kids. Mm -hmm. um, I was one of the first people That's in the Western world. That's when I first met you. I met you before that. I mm -hmm. met you a few years before that even because right. I was still in the world, right. and <laughs> the real world. And you were thinking of doing it. You it were was, thinking of doing yoga. Was, for, you right at the transition. It was it was probably yeah. a year or two after I, mm -hmm. I met you, yeah. Because when I was in advertising, when I met you, met you, I'd never even thought of yoga. It wasn't I remember even. we went for a long walk. I had my ad agency in Brentwood, <laughs> and you were telling me you wanted like do yoga for kids because right. kids really needed it. Right and stuff, and you were really just starting out. Right, and back then, it was considered a ridiculous notion. I called basically every school in Los Angeles, the only one who took me up, and it, it's a coincidence, I guess, that it's Jewish, although I did contact all the Jewish schools, was Temple Israel of Hollywood, um, and then eventually um, Chabad of Malibu Preschool. Um, it, the funny thing was, it was the Jewish community that was the early adapters. Um, but back then, it was such a new and odd concept, but I really believe that this is something our kids needed. Now, you'll be hard-pressed to find a single school in Los Angeles that does not offer yoga. Tell us about your first class with kids. My first class? With kids, when you're first starting to, to teach kids. <laughs> you remember where it was? Um, yes, it was at Happy Land Preschool in Culver City. Um, a friend's kids went there, and... Um, it was a disaster. <laughs> oh, good. We love those. They it's, fell. No, they no, fell. no. I was clear. It was supposed to be an hour-long class, and I finished my material in approximately seven minutes, so I just repeated it like ten times. <laughs> yeah. Let's talk about the but, Lakers. Yeah. <laughs> it's a, you know, it was a big learning process, of course. And You um, fell. I, you have to fall, right? Mm -hmm. The only rule is as long as you get back up one more time than you fall— you're good to go. How did you get back up? So the first class was a little bit of an embarrassment. Well, you know, I'm, I'm a passion-driven person. I always have been. Mm -hmm. I knew what I wanted to do, and so it's your first class. You just laugh it off, and you know next week you got to be better. And what did the parents tell you when you started being really successful? What kind of feedback were you getting from the parents about what yoga was doing to the kids? Right. Well, I mean, my most important work has always been with special needs children. Mm -hmm. um, so I've... <laughs> I, I mean, the the parents who have really committed to the yoga, and when I say parents committing to the yoga, it means they need to reinforce the things that I'm teaching at home. Um, the behavioral changes in their children um, have been phenomenal, especially the kids who are on the spectrum. Um, but what also, kind of special needs? Is it um, autism? 
a lot of autism spectrum, mm-hmm. um, but I've worked with everything. I worked with a boy with spina bifida who came to me in a wheelchair and wound up without a wheelchair. Um, <laughs> you know, he, in fact, he was in a yoga video. You wouldn't even know that he had anything going on with him. I've worked with kids with every mental and physical incapacity that you could possibly imagine from just trauma to, you know, mental challenges to, to paralysis to You know, that everything. kid in the wheelchair, uh, I can't help myself. That sounds like a great column for the Jewish Journal. <laughs> You're stuck now. I'm going to follow up on that. <laughs> this was so that long ago. That sounds like ago, an amazing but, yeah, story. Yeah, that must have been at least a decade ago. But, of course, you know, I work with adults as well. That's, you know, We now. have our own special needs. Yeah. But, but you know what? It's so true. Like, we sort of laugh about that. But I believe that every single person has special needs, right? Mm-hmm. We all have our strengths. We have our weaknesses. We have our... Um, hot buttons and, and the things that, that plague us at night. And, and we all are working with stuff that, you know, we may not be able to see it. You know, I, you might not be missing a leg or, you know, talking to yourself in schizophrenic rants, but I don't know what's going inside your heart and what's going on inside your head. Uh, the beauty of yoga is it gets to all of that. But yoga has become such a popular word, <laughs> right? such a, a, a popular idea. And there are many different kinds of yoga. Uh, so just uh, tell us what's specific within the yoga world. What is, What kind of yoga do you practice? And I'd love to hear examples of how it influenced some of the people you deal with, some of the... the, the Adults, kids. Okay. Um, so my practice is, for adults, it's it's sort of an Ashtanga-based practice. What does that mean? It's a form of yoga, a sort of intense form of yoga, but um, I say Ashtanga-based because it's Ashtanga alliance. Uh, the only alignment. one I know is the one that sounds like uh, Italian pasta, the Kundalini yeah. with pesto. <laughs> okay, so <laughs> it's not only. Kundalini at all. Yeah, what's it's the sort difference of a between yours and Kundalini? Oh, I mean, it's uh, I, I, you can't even compare. Uh-huh. Kundalini is a very spiritual practice that's um, sort of based on very repetitive and chanting. Um, a lot of chanting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, vinyasa slash ashtanga is um, like a fluid, almost like a dance, more powerful. Mm-hmm. Um, but honestly, what I do doesn't fit into any box. And neither do I. It's sort of my own thing. That, yeah. But I'd say it's it's a shtanga alignment, vinyasa-based yoga. Um, I'd say that the best things that come out of my class is, um, is people gaining confidence in themselves, in their abilities, um, finding strengths where they didn't know strength existed. Um, and that can be figurative or literal strength. Um, I've had people start businesses because of yoga, not, not yoga businesses, but just that it gave them that impetus, that fire, that I can do anything. Um, but more than anything, I think it's a confidence builder. Mm -hmm. I think that it, um, you know, it brings people out of their dark places and puts them into the light. I'm fascinated by how the physical can influence the, the mental and the right. emotional. I mean, in one of the most popular books out in the world right now is Jordan Peterson, you know, The Twelve Rules of Living. And the very first one is, and it's mostly for men, 
stand up straight. Right. Amazing.、Mm-hmm. His very first rule. Right. Is to stand up straight.、Right. So I could imagine that you know, yoga probably really helps with the posture. Well, keep in mind that also that your posture is largely a reflection of your emotions, right? Like if you're standing right, like Superman. Right, but I'm more interested in the reverse. I'm more interested in how you, know, you have a, an emotion that's、mm-hmm. negative, that's、uh, constrained, that's contracting, that's、right. low self esteem, but then you do something physical, you know? And it, it, it gives you better posture,、right. and then the posture itself、right. leads to inner confidence. Like Rabbi Nachman said, if you don't feel like doing something you know, for the Torah, just do it, and then the, the actual、right. feeling follows.、Right. Is that connected? Absolutely. There's a chicken and an egg scenario. Listen, if you're depressed, you're going to slump, right? But if you stand up, it's like when they say,、um, smile. Like, just smile, even if you feel even if you don't down feel、like、in the it, jumps.、Right. Like, when you smile, it sends endorphins, right? It makes you think you're happy. It tricks you into feeling happiness, right? So, yeah, posture in, in yoga on the physical basis is all about posture. It's all about spinal health, right? So, it does. Like, people walk out of yoga feeling taller, feeling invincible, feeling powerful, right? And these are all the things that I experienced on my first class that made me go, oh my God, this is it. And you didn't feel that after three hours of working out? No. Oh God, no. no I mean, I loved working out, but that was just sweat,、mm. right? Again, like, so my first teacher, who is Brian Kast, like, he's really into the philosophy. So even as he's teaching the physical stuff, he's talking a lot about the deeper aspects of the practice, right?、Mm-hmm. And that's what hooked me. Do you do that in your classes? <laughs> so <laughs> in my teacher training, I really, 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 really do.、Um, in my classes, I used to, and then everyone really complained that I talked too much. And, I'll be the first to admit I talk too much.、Um, so sadly, I, I don't bring it into my classes that much. But, but right now,、um, I only have one public class. Everything I do is private. So、mm-hmm. when I work with people one on one, it's very much tailored to, it becomes sort of like therapy slash yoga because、mm-hmm. they wind up talking to you about what's going on in their life and, and everything becomes super personal. And though I would never in a million years, Pretend that I'm a therapist,、um, you do have a chance to like connect with people because physicality is vulnerability, right? When you're doing something that's hard or uncomfortable and you're talking at the same time, it's this weird like amalgamation of healing on both a physical level. Mental, and, and let's go so far as to say spiritual level. And physicality, it's hard to lie. You know, when, with verbal stuff, you can always sort of be a little circuitous or sneaky or hidden or whatever. But with physicality, it's, it is what it is. You can make that move or you can't. Right. So it's more honest and it, and it shows vulnerabilities、yeah. in a more direct way, I、yeah. would think. But there's something you said before the podcast that in my office really got my attention, which is that yoga made you more Jewish. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't ask you to elaborate, but I'll ask you now. Okay.、Um, let me start by saying that the very practice of yoga is actually predicated. On submitting to a higher power. 
And the beauty of yoga, because so many people think, oh, yoga is Hindu, right? It's not. The yoga sutras don't define the higher power. It could be the Jewish God. It could be Jesus. It could be Allah. It could be Shiva. It doesn't really matter. So keeping in mind that that's the basis of the whole philosophy, to be in yoga is to be in a space where your mind and your body and your spirit are in alignment, right? It's supposed to be the purest, truest form of yourself. And though I grew up in a very Jewish, very Zionistic, not religious, like not observant per se, we did Shabbat, that was about it, but family and household, I always knew I was Jewish. It was always important to me, right? But it wasn't, it didn't define who I was. But it's not that yoga told me, now you must find your God. But it led me back to that place, that connection, that you cannot be authentic to yourself if your spirit doesn't align with your words and your deeds, right? And so kindness has to become your driving force and mindfulness. And I, if I had to say what purpose does religion serve in this world, I'd say is to create kindness, mm-hmm. right? A moral code. So it really did bring me back very staunchly to remind myself who I was and who I wasn't. Mm -hmm. And interestingly enough, if I went into a yoga, (laughs) a yoga situation where they were chanting and keeping in mind that most yogic chants, Vedic chants are invocations to Hindu gods, that that drove me even further back to Judaism, because I could not partake in that. I'm like, this is not my God, and it reminded me who my God was. This is so interesting. So you started discovering a lot of things uh, through yoga that really appealed to you, right? So the idea of kindness, for example, and then this whole idea of a higher power. So by by discovering these ideas that appeal to you through yoga, something made you ask yourself, do I have that in my tradition? Right. It made you look inside your tradition. So your parents gave you enough of a cultural kind of Judaism. Of course. And sort of an identity Judaism. You had enough of that right. to say, I wonder how much of that we have. And then maybe you just found plenty of it. Is that yeah. What, yeah. I mean, I grew up in Jewish day school, right? I mean, we had read the whole Torah and the Rashis and the books after by the time we were in sixth grade. So. Correct. But what you discovered through yoga was not the kind of Judaism you grew up with. It drove me back to that, right. actually. It made me want more. It right. made me want to learn more. To learn and, more. Yeah, to connect deeper to the stuff that maybe was a little more latent inside of me. Got it. So yoga became like a door. Yeah. Yeah, you a, could say that. A door back to your, uh, to your Jewish roots. Now, speaking of Jewish, I know you're very involved with Israel. Yes. Israel advocacy. <laughs> it's my life. You're a, uh, a junior. Uh, dip, you're in the junior diplomatic Jewish. corps. Jewish diplomatic corps. <laughs> yeah, I'm not a junior anymore. Say, definitely not junior. <laughs> I'm a little too Jewish. old for it. <laughs> uh, 
for the American Jewish Congress. World Jewish Congress. World Jewish Congress. You know, the American Jewish Congress was, I think, defunct. I went on a trip with them years ago. It, mm, uh, it was a group, Gary Rosen. I remember the whole yeah. thing. So there's so many. But this is yeah. one of the biggest Jewish organizations, yeah. the World Jewish Congress, Ronald Lauder. Yeah. How long have you been involved with them? So I joined the JD Corps um, in 2010, I believe. Um, I had the dubious honor of being the only person to ever apply for the program. Everyone else is recruited. <laughs> it's like parliamentarians and barristers and politicians and a yoga teacher. <laughs> I remember um, you used to Facebook me then. <laughs> said, oh my God, I'm so involved with Israel now. Yeah. I'm like a Jewish diplomat. <laughs> I said, oh my, look at you. You've gone through many chapters. Yeah. From yoga, to, you do it all. Well, my Israel advocacy woman. truly is is the most important thing in my entire life. Right um, now, is it? Period. Wow. More than yoga. If I were on a deserted island with either Israel advocacy or yoga, I'd have to choose Israel. Well, you know, that really says a lot, it, uh, <laughs> Shauna, because I know how deeply yoga defines your life. So yep. obviously Israel goes even deeper. Yeah. Israel runs so so <laughs> deep in my soul and in my veins. And, and I think that I mean, as involved as I've been, just everything got so galvanized in 2014 when that's when, as far as I'm concerned, the media spun so out of control in the propaganda and lies that... The Gaza I've, War? Yeah. I feel like my whole world turned upside down in 2014, mm. and it has not... It, it, it just seems to be such a downward spiral in the media, and I feel... Helpless to an extent, but at the same time, an interesting thing that, that the yoga world has provided for me is um, because the yoga world is a very liberal world, unfortunately, it tends to be very biased against Israel, right? Because they take the mass media propaganda and lies, and that's all they know. Well, I've been given a unique position that I get to teach all over the world in a place of authority people whatever people look up to me to whatever extent right as an expert in, in your field yoga, in my right. field and so when someone they respect starts talking about israel which i do in every single workshop everywhere on earth literally <laughs> they you could always see people looking around like israel Wait, Israel? What Big is bad Israel? Hmm. You know, what? she likes Israel? She thinks Israel's good? Wait. And, and people always come up to me after. They want to ask me questions about Israel. And I'm always like, I need a button that says, you want to ruin this party? Ask me about Israel. Because I will not relent. Hmm. <laughs> Let me tell, can I tell you a really Please. interesting story? So I was just teaching in Florence where there's, a very small Jewish population, um, and the people Italy. who influence Italy, yeah. The people who are my hosts there are just the sweetest, kindest people on earth. The Italians, right? They're they're Jews that happen to be Italian, right? Like we're one and the same. Um, they're not really Jewish. Um, but I was out with one of the girls, and she's like, "Oh yeah, no, there's no such thing as anti-Semitism in Florence," because I was telling her how rampant anti-Semitism is in Europe right now and what a crisis it is and that everyone's moving to Israel. And 
She said, oh, not in Florence. In Florence, there's no anti-Semitism. I'm like, I promise you that there is anti-Semitism. You don't even know. Oh, no, not here. We walk out on the street. This was so insane. And we're having this conversation. Now it's completely out of context. And, and these are students of yours. Yeah. That, right. In this yoga. is just one student. Yeah. So we're walking on the street, and she had asked me why. Why anti-Semitism? So I was going down a list of reasons, right? And I said, well, one of the reasons is that we... I asked her, how many Jewish people do you think there are as a percentage of the world, first of all? She said 30%. Hmm. I said, okay, it's one-fifth of 1%, first of all. I said, so there's been an inordinate amount of accomplishment, right? We, we've accomplished a lot, and there's a theory... and that maybe there's some sort of jealousy on the over-accomplishment in how, you know, how much we've done in the world. Now, this was totally out of context. There's a man walking in front of us. He didn't hear the context. He just heard something about overachievement. So he turns around and he says with a big smile, I hear you're talking about overachievement. This is a topic I'm very interested in. This is a stranger, like, just coming into our conversation. In English. In English. So I said to him— Was he an American? Um, no. He was Italian, but he said he lived in America for—we were talking for a few minutes. And, he, and I said, actually, we weren't really talking about overachievement per se. What I was talking about was anti-Semitism and some of the reasons that it exists. And this man— who had turned around with this big, friendly smile, starts spinning vitriol at me about how the Jews are the reason for all the problems in the world, that Israel is terror, is all is a terrorist state, that we you know we that mm -hmm. Jews have no place in this world and they all need to be destroyed. And he wow. And the girl who I was just talking to who just told me there's no anti-Semitism in Florence, her jaw dropped. Wow. Here we are on the streets of Florence, and this man is yelling and screaming and flailing. And, and it was just such an eye-opening moment for her, too. Yeah. And I was we, I was uh, listening to this Charles Crothammer because all yeah. the, oh, all so the tributes right now. So last night I just spent two hours. Right. Watching some of his old interviews, and he said a fascinating thing: that Europe's got a long history of anti-Semitism, and the Holocaust sort of put a stop to that for like 60, 70 years. Right? Yeah. It just it just sort of slowed it down, and now it's back. Right. So it it, it 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 didn't shut it out at all. No. It just stopped it. Right. Right. It and now it's a pause, and now it's uh, it's back. But I want to go back to your love for Israel, because. Obviously, there's so much opposition <laughs> to Israel, and that can create a certain connection. Right. But what is the positivity? What is the love? Is it from a trip when you were young? Is it what the way your parents told you about Israel? Where did the love come from? I mean, your first visit? Okay. Do you remember so your we, first visit? Oh, I do. I actually, I didn't go on birthright or anything. I didn't go until 2010. My first trip was when I joined the JD Corps. Yeah, and my sister made Aliyah that year. So was that when the love affair started? I mean, before um, then was it? That's, I would say that's when the mad love affair started. The second I walked off the airplane, 
I mean, isn't that how it happens? Just being on Israeli soil. And every time I see an Israeli flag, I want to cry, you know, that there's a flag with a Jewish star on the world stage that flies proudly over a whole nation. Like, it's, I'll tell you, for me, yeah. uh, Shana, like, the one of the things that really connects me is this idea that I had ancestors for 19 centuries that would uh, yearn to go back home to Zion, right? right. That's, like, a, just a simple, dramatic, right. incredibly dramatic story. Yeah. This idea that I visualize sort of my great, 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 you know, grandparents and for centuries and centuries and you would think after a while they would say you know this ain't gonna happen <laughs> right and then the miracle right? and right? then you know so i get to be born in the generation that gets to go over the finish line yeah. so for me it's that long 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 history of the diaspora yeah. that was scattered throughout the world and to think that you could yearn for something for 19 centuries right. that's what gives me the goosebumps yeah and the fact that i'm in the generation now that that is living yeah this this sort of miracle that's it i mean that's in addition right. to any feeling i might have now about israel right with all the mistakes and the flaws and it has and all the imperfections you know there's the miracle of the actual yes. story itself yeah yeah there's absolutely it's just i guess yeah, we grew up in the generation of Holocaust remembrance, right? You grew up with this being a constant narrative in your life. It's a great point, you know. It's a, it's a, I haven't thought about that. It's a great point because the Holocaust was the darkest moment in Jewish history, maybe human history, and it's so deep that Israel feels like it comes out of the Holocaust, and I think what you lose with that is you lose those... 19 centuries of yearning to come home and and in a in an in an odd way the holocaust was so dark and so deep and so overpowering that it it makes you forget the centuries of yearning to come back to israel it's the uh, first time i'm thinking about that it's an interesting an interesting point and i think there's a you uh, you can miss the 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 miraculous part of the story it's not just that there was a holocaust which i by the way is the narrative that has been promulgated right and it's by much, israel's enemies right that israel course. came out of the holocaust right that that's not even really my my thought really is that being a child of holocaust remembrance going to israel to a place on earth where you will never be persecuted for being Jewish. Mm. Just that simple, that simple fact idea that, of mm. everywhere around. And listen, we're so blessed beyond blessed in America. I mean, anti-Semitism, you could, of course it exists, but we could be safe walking around as Jewish people with a yarmulke or whatever trappings, a nice mug and dove it and not worry about it. You know, my friends in Europe literally can't even indicate to the world that they're Jewish. Um, we're blessed here, but Israel is more than a safe haven. It's a celebration, right? Mm -hmm. It's, it, it, it is that miracle. It is that, it's that hope. It's that, 
it's that tangible sense of we've arrived and we've and we've just done an amazing job and i just feel israel is a non-stop celebration of the survival of judaism and against the all odds mm-hmm. absolutely so you went in 2010 and, and yeah then, and then how often have you gone back once or twice every year since then Wow, yeah. and it's always connected to the World Jewish Congress? No, no. I went that year t- and met with them, and then I went for um, Yon Hazikaron and Yon, Yon Ha... Yon this year? Ha- Ut- I was this there. Year. I was there. I know you were there. I was in there. Tel Aviv, that's right. I, I, I just went for three days. Yeah, because I told Tova that maybe you could All come right. and talk to us, to JD Corps, but she said you were too busy. Um, yeah, so, but besides that, no, I just go to... it. It's... I have What's to your be favorite there. part of Israel, if you have one? Oof. Do you go to Jerusalem or Tel Aviv or both? I spend most of my time in Tel Aviv because my mm-hmm. sister lives there. Okay. Um, oh, right. That's right. I met her. You did? Yeah, that restaurant, remember? Oh, oh, at the yeah. restaurant. I'm like, in Israel? <laughs> um, I love the Dead Sea. I love the Dead Sea. Like, as many times as I go, it's... <laughs> I can't stand the Dead Sea. First oh of all, God. I hate the name. I dream about it. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not going to go to a place that's... Dead. And dead. In the sea. Yeah, I'll go when they change the name. <laughs> Too hot. Yeah. What do you love I, about the Dead Sea? I love that you just sit down and it lifts you up and lies you down. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's just like fall. there's nothing like it anywhere. Um, but there's nothing I don't love about Israel. Mm-hmm. I mean, from top to bottom, heart to soul. There's got to be stuff. I mean, the stuff that drives me nuts, the, the politicized, power-hungry... Uh, people in the chief rabbinate, those rabbis that just are corrupt and stuff, that that drives right. me nuts. I, I don't mean the politics. Okay, I mean, I, right. mean the, I mean the country itself. But even the country itself, you know, yeah. I mean, uh, I it's, it's a little bit. rough around the edges. For sure. You know, I mean, look, it's a messy, I call it a mess in progress. Yeah. It's a, it's a, it's a messy country. How do you deal with, uh, I mean, genuine criticism of Israel that does deal with politics and the way... Uh, you know, the situation in the West Bank with the Palestinians and so forth. How do you deal with that, Shauna? Um, well, first of all, I, I have to be honest that 99% of all criticism that comes my way is not legitimate. And I get frustrated when people say, yeah, you have to listen to the other side of the story when the other side of the story is lies. That's not another side of the story. Mm-hmm. But as far as I'm concerned, most of the... Um, problems in the Palestinian territories are a result of their own governments. Um, Corruption. Yeah, corruption and quite honestly negligence. You Mm -hmm. know, they're not concerned with helping their people. They're concerned with destroying the Jewish state. Mm -hmm. And I'm somebody who really tries to see both sides of an issue. Um, Have you ever been to Ramallah? No. Mm -hmm. No. I was there. I was you were? I was in a refugee camp. Oh, wow. Best hummus I ever tasted <laughs> in a Ramallah refugee camp. <laughs> I, I, and it turns out that the Jews used to go there a lot. Before oh, Oslo, okay. thousands of Israelis For the hummus. would go to <laughs> Ramallah. And right. because I was with uh, an interpreter who mm-hmm. speak to him, and he spoke to the owner of the shop who told him that in the old days, Israeli Jews would go there all the time, and it was great for business. And right. I didn't wear my yarmulke, and... Right. And then I said, ask him. He didn't know I was Jewish. So I said to my interpreter, I asked him if he'd like to see the Jews again. 
Mm-hmm. And he said, absolutely not. So the wow. hatred has really seeped in, yeah. which is a sort of an un- unfortunate truth. Yeah. I mean, listen, it, as far as legitimate criticism is concerned, I think one of the problems is that Israel is held to an unreasonable standard. I could give you legitimate criticism on America, on Britain, on Germany, on, on, on any country. But there's this sense of immaculate expectation from Israel that anytime anything legitimate comes up, it's magnified to an extent that it's like, yeah, what if this happened in America? Right. right? You know, it's funny. When I bring that up with some of my friends, they sort of take it as a compliment almost. Well, great. You know, we're Jews. We're <laughs> supposed to have higher standards and blah, blah, blah. And we can't compare ourselves to Syria. And I guess I, I, I get that. But tell us what when Jewish diplomatic corps, mm-hmm. what exactly does that mean? What do you do? So um, the JD Corps is a bunch of young amateur diplomats. I use the term young very loosely here. I'm the <laughs> oldest one in the group. <laughs> okay. But um, I'm sure you're the best <laughs> yoga person in the group. That, uh, that I'll guarantee you. <laughs> do, you do you give them free yoga classes? Um, you know what? Whenever we have a summit, it's like 7 a.m. to 11 p.m. And there's not a lot of time. Everybody talks about it, but it's never come to fruition. Uh-huh. Okay. Um, but we... Um, we take meetings with mostly with ambassadors and um, diplomats from every country regarding issues that affect not just Israel, but the world Jewish populace. So give me an example. So you'd be in D.C., for example? Well, yeah, here I've only talked to consulates in Los Angeles. So you do um, that here? Yes, but we have JDs who um, speak at the U.N., who um, speak at the EU. Uh, you know, uh, it's... It's not like we don't conflict with, say, APAC. We don't really talk mm-hmm. to the U.S. government. It's all very it's um, international. It's very international in scope. And again, thank God, most of the issues that are threatening Israel and Judaism are not United States or even North American issues. They're mostly in South America, in Europe, of course, and um Obviously, we're seeing South Africa, Australia, but America, luckily, is on our team. So tell us an example of uh, an encounter you had with a diplomat. It could be a consul general in L.A. Have you done anything on the East Coast as well? No. So so in L.A., so give us an example. Because I've met a few consul generals here. I could tell you a a funny little thing. We like those. So um, my first diplomat that I was assigned to meet was the uh, vice consul of of Turkey. Um, Again, this was 2010, a very pivotal time. And um, he and I just, we really hit it off. And um, we wound up becoming good friends. And um, again, everybody at the JD Corps, because I just am a little bit different from everybody else, would laugh because while everybody else was taking their diplomatic meetings, you know, and in restaurants and offices. Um, we would meet here at WeSpa, at the Korean Day Spa, nice. and spend the day together. Um, and it, it was really interesting, right, to be able to connect with oh, Turkey, right? It, I mean, it's we, a problematic country. It, it's getting worse. And in, in, in Did you feel that, you know, he had, he was forced to defend 
stuff I that's indefensible. And this is the problem with diplomacy and why Lauder prefers to be his own diplomat because he has been asked to be the U.S. ambassador to Israel, but he can't toe the U.S. line because sometimes you're going to have to say stuff that doesn't agree with what you mm-hmm. what you believe. And in talking to this man who became a good friend, um, when I would talk to him about stuff about, the say, the Armenian genocide, because this guy, I really, truly believe, was good at heart. I truly mm-hmm. believe that. Um, and when he would start speaking, it, it, it was it was double speak, right? Like he he couldn't. I got the sense that he did believe it was a genocide, but mm-hmm. there's no way he could ever officially or unofficially acknowledge that to me. And um, he seemed very interested in Israel and meeting me in Israel someday and taking me to Turkey. And and I think that this comes back to look at what's going on with Israel and Iran today. I mean, literally, like today and this week with the, this weird love affair that that's starting between the people of Iran, right? And, and I think that we confuse um, people with governments, right? And... Um, a diplomat is somewhere between a person and a government, <laughs> and um, he he's he's got a his feet in two sides because he has to you know project a appropriate stance. Yeah. But it's you know uh, when you see what's happening now in Iran, uh, when Netanyahu, the Prime Minister of Israel, released a video mm-hmm. saying we can help you with your water shortage. Amazing, right? Which was absolutely I'd never seen anything like that and. Apparently, it's got millions of views. So he went straight to the people. Yeah. And whether you like Bibi or not, I just thought it was a brilliant move. Oh, it absolutely. Go right to the people because you're so right about that. Like uh, the leader of the Turks right now, I mean, Turkey, Erdogan. (laughs) Erdogan is. He's a bad guy. Yeah. It's and really getting worse, guy. like it, 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 he seems to be on such a again this downhill spiral of. The anger Palestinians I've met in Ramallah, you know, they're good guys, you know, and it's I see that time and time again, where the leadership is where the poison really is. Yes, absolutely, and in, in many times the leadership is poisoning their own people, right? It's not just the 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 hatred towards Israel. Right, because in the leadership, you know, I mean, look at their life, right? They got private jets, they got villas, they got they got a Ritz-Carlton's around the world. They got an amazing life. Yeah. The kids go to private school in England, blah, 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 and look at the people. People, right. they want to feed their kids, right? So they have their own concerns. Uh, that's why there's such a, a discrepancy. So what's the what's the future solution to the planet? Is it yoga? Is that... Ha! <laughs> I... I I mean, listen, yoga is connection. I don't think we all need to be doing physical yoga on a mat, but I do believe that the answer is in the people and that we're seeing a lot of outreach between Palestinians and Israelis, between Israelis and and Iranians, between Muslims and Jews. You know, I think that as as a human race, Mm -hmm. I think we all crave peace. People to people. Yeah. Right. So I think that when the people, um, I, I, I hope I, Iran seems to be maybe on the verge of a revolution. We saw little rumblings, mm-hmm. you know, in the last year, um, but 
people to people, we have different agendas mm-hmm. when we're at the people level. Right. We want we want to enjoy life. We want to have a job. We want to be able to provide. You know, it's a different agenda. We all agenda. have the same needs, right? We have the same needs. We want to be able to drink. We want shelter. We have these basic uh, needs, and that's why there's so much more commonality between people to people. And this is maybe does this connect to your your love affair with yoga? <laughs> is you got this yeah. real connection? Things yeah, you find in I common mean, with others? Of course. Yeah. It's it, listen, yoga. <laughs> it, yoga assumes that we all share the same divine spark, right? There's no difference between your soul and mine. And in in this was this is something I brought up to Rabbi Wolpe, who disagreed with me that this was a Jewish concept because I found it very Jewish that if God is everywhere, he's in every soul of our being. You can't take a drop of water and separate it from the ocean that it that surrounds it. You can't take a spark and remove it from a flame, right? A square is a rectangle, even if a rectangle is not a square. We are pure manifestations of God. And one of the things yoga says is that when you reach samadhi, which is your bliss, you realize that you are God. There is nothing outside of you that is God. Rather, you are a piece of the same, and we all are. And to hurt you is to hurt me because we all share that same energy, right? We all share that same makeup. Do you feel that when you're in a yoga session, Shauna? Um, I think when I started yoga, there was a big epiphany, for sure, and everything was peace, love, and rainbows. Um, you I, still feel it? Um, I think I've become more jaded in my, you know, maybe because of Israel advocacy and seeing how the world treats Israel, mm-hmm. that, that I don't always believe that people do the right thing, mm-hmm. and I, th- I always, I liken it to like a tennis match. If I know the rules of tennis, but you think we're playing baseball, you're going to keep hitting it out of the court and mm. thinking you're winning, right? Mm. You're going to, you're like, oh, I hit another one over the fence, That's right? That's an interesting analogy. Yeah. And I'm like, no, you're like, here's the court. Like, this is where we're trying, in, in, but we're playing by different rules. Does that make sense? Well, I, I was, I had a podcast this morning with uh, the, the head of UCLA Hillel. Yeah, and we we're talking about these, you know, situations that come up where some there's a panel, and then these hecklers come in and start right. screaming and sabotaging the whole event. And I'm thinking that's baseball and tennis, right? That is right. like uh, there's no desire to engage in a conversation, right? And it's very difficult to keep your innocence in that kind of environment when the, it's two completely different games that are at play. And I think this is what splitting so many people apart is we're not playing the, the same games, the same right. rules, whichever exactly. that is. Yeah. Anyhow, this was really enlightening. We're almost <laughs> at a state of bliss. <laughs> uh, I do want to give you a chance to say you had the, this thing you wanted to say. Yeah. J.D., go ahead. Um, the, the donation. Yeah. yeah. Oh, it's nothing to do with the JD Corp. But um, yeah, um, so um, my company's name is Yoga Athletica, and um, it's Y-O-G-A-T-H-L-E-T-I-C-A. Yoga Athletica. Yep. And my, Got something. <laughs> my kid's company is Mini Yogis. And um, if you contact me and book classes with me and mention this podcast, I'll give 10% 
um, back to either the World Jewish Congress, APAC, or Stand With Us, and uh, you could pick your favorite. Or they're all fabulous, not your favorite, the one that you'd like me to donate to. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Shauna, for coming here, and Shabbat Shalom. It's been my pleasure. Shabbat Shalom.